Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Let's hear it for Brian. And I want to just say a quick word about Brian and his story. Uh, I know him personally. He is a friend. He is the same on video as he is off video. He is a, that's a, oh, y'all, that was a joke because he said that about me. Oh, that's going to be a rough crowd. <laughs> oh, man. Y'all, Joel, start praying for them right now. He is a good man, and he serves here on a team that happens, which you all don't even realize, between every gathering, they got about five minutes to turn this whole room around, and they pick up all the trash and redo all the Bibles and put everything away from the previous messy service, and they do it all in five minutes. So can we show some love to our flip team and what they do every week? Um, so grateful for his story. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here. I want to welcome you here on this Daylight Savings Weekend, especially those of you who thought you were showing up for the 830. Uh, glad that you are here. Uh, we are in a season that we're calling Ready for More, where we've already heard we are um, following the vision God has given us to start two new churches, one to the west, one to the north, to build a physical house of hope here at our West Loop Church, a place where people can find God at their lowest when life hits a wall to find help and healing and hope, literally you're going to build that out right behind where I'm standing here, as well as a Soul City studio that we can create and release resources to this church and to other churches around the world. It's an exciting season. And so if you're kind of new around here and wondering what God's up to, you came here at a great time. This, we are following God into a big vision. And I just want to say a quick word about that and then move into our teaching for today. Uh, we have two goals when it comes to this Ready for More season. The first one is simple, easy, measurable. We want 100% participation. That's all, that's it, 100%. And what do we mean when we say that? We want everyone to seek God. That's all we want is for you to seek God. I was talking with a friend this week and he said, so wait a second, does 100% participation mean that if I don't give financially to ready for more that I'm not welcome in your church? And I was like, kind of. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Come on, give me a break. I did not say that. I said, absolutely not. If you pray and seek God, God, how do you want me to be a part? Whatever you want me to be a part, whatever God tells you, that's between you and God, and we're trusting God with that. Does that make sense? That's 100% participation, that you would seek God, ask him to lead you, believe that he'll provide for you, and then commit to whatever God tells you to commit to. That's it. We are trusting God and trusting you. Our second goal is really... Honestly, an afterthought if we get the first one right. The secondary goal is to raise $9 million over these next two years to commit to $9 million to build these two churches, the House of Hope and the studio. And for some of you, you may go, oh my gosh, that seems like so much money. But then I want you to think about how many presidential candidates dropped out this last week and how many hundreds of millions of dollars was spent on nothing. (laughs) And this is small. And what I would say is we, we get to invest $9 million and we'll have three churches, a house of hope, and a studio. I think that's a pretty great investment. And I think God actually is the one who holds all resources and releases those to us so that we can release them to his work in the world. So does that make sense? That's our primary goal and our secondary goal. And we are so excited to see God stretch our faith. That's what we're asking God to do, stretch our faith in this next season. And as I was thinking about where we're going today and the season that we're in with Ready for More, I thought about a time where I felt stretched personally. Anyone ever felt stretched beyond what you were capable of? I remember a time where I I physically, I chose to stretch myself beyond what I was capable of. 
and I'd signed up for uh, one of those workout boot camp things. Has anyone ever done a workout boot camp before for a month? Okay, anyone ever sign up but not show up for a workout? Right, so Jeannie had done it and had loved it and had pretty much told me I had to do it, which is how most things work in our marriage. And so, so I signed up for it and paid for it. And the deal is this, we would meet at a park at 5.30 in the morning and for an hour do all these intense workouts and you literally don't stop. You just go, you run from workout to workout during this time. You do that every weekday for the course of a month. And so I went to the orientation the night before it started. This is the Sunday night before the Monday that it starts. And oh no, I guess it, it started on a Friday. So this is a Thursday night before it starts. And I am like, I'm nervous, I'm excited, I'm at the orientation. And then I begin to hear that I have to record everything that I eat for the next 30 days. I was like, well, no one's ever made me do that before. I don't know if I like that. Then they told me what I couldn't eat for the next 30 days. I'm like, I I don't know why. I need to get my money back. This is not what I (laughs) signed up for. And so I looked through and thought, I am not going to enjoy any of this. And on top of that, I I have people literally yelling at me every morning. I'm paying someone to yell at me at 530 in the morning. That's not like I have kids for that. I don't need someone else. to do that, right? And nevertheless, I was like, all right, you know what? I signed up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to commit to this thing. I want my body to be stretched. And so I decided on the drive home, that was a Thursday night, kicked off on a Friday and then went out through the next month. I said, I need to get something, kind of like a last meal, you know, like my last meal, you know, (laughs) really before I go out, I just want to have one last meal. And so I went to uh, get some of that uh, Jesus chicken fuel in me. And so I went to Chick-fil-A and, but I supersized everything. Like I I got the most of what you could get at Chick-fil-A and I added a vanilla milkshake on top because I couldn't have sugar or any of that kind of stuff. No alcohol, no nothing for a month. So I went big that night and I had a great meal and I was feeling great about myself. It was about nine o'clock or so when I finally got home from all that and eating all that food. And then I got up the next morning and I showed up at 530 in the park. And I mean, I wasn't even out of my car and they were yelling at me. I didn't even know them. They didn't even know my name and they were yelling at me. Yeah, come on, get in line, get in line. You got to do this, you got to go. And so I'm just running and running. And I start doing the exercises they're telling me to do. And then about half, almost maybe two-thirds of the way through doing all these exercises, nonstop running from station to station. They say, all right, now we're going to do the mile test. We're going to do this once and we'll do it in the middle. We'll do it at the end. We're going to chart your progress. I was like, okay, it's just a mile. It's just a mile, right? Like if I said to you right now, you need to go outside these doors and run a mile right now. How many of you feel confident you could run a mile right now? Yeah. How many of you had a belly full of Chick-fil-A and a milkshake? <laughs> And maybe a beer in you could not, would struggle with that mile. Okay, so when we go to the mile, I'm like, okay, we're going to start right here. They made us run up a hill to the start of the mile run. And the whole time I'm running to the start line, I'm thinking, this should count. This should count. This is distance. And so we get to the starting line and we go and I am hurting. And I get about halfway through the mile and I stop and I throw up all over the path. I cannot, like, I'm not going to go into details, but it was intense throw up. And then I had to like keep going to finish the mile. And I was so exhausted, so defeated, so depleted and all that Chick-fil-A everywhere. And so I, I, so when we run back to where the, there was like 20 more minutes of workout left and I saw my car in the parking lot when we finished the mile, this is a true story. I walked straight to my car. Everyone else had already finished before me, was already doing their exercises. I got in my car and started it. 
And this is also a part of a very true story. One of the instructors saw me and started running across the field. I'm not kidding. I felt like it was Jurassic Park. I got the windows up. I'm trying to get that thing in reverse. And he comes and bangs on the window. He's like, it's not over. I'm like, I'm over. It's done. No. No to you. And so I left. I'm not kidding. I may have peeled out. I left. Maybe even cried on the drive home. I left. I left and then went through the weekend and then decided on Monday, gosh darn it, I got to finish this thing. So I went back and finished it and it was an awesome experience. All right. So this is the last little addendum to the story of my awesomeness. About a year later, I had told a coworker about this and, and I'd done it a couple more times actually. I really did love it. And I told them about this and so they signed up to do it. And so I'd asked them after their first day, how was it? How are you feeling? They said, awesome. They said, you know, the funniest thing is uh, they told us the story. It was so inspiring in the orientation. <laughs> Guys, I'm not making this up. They told a story about a guy who quit on the first day and drove off halfway through. And I just thought, that's not going to be me. And I said, we should pray for that person. They're, they're probably a very good person. You don't know them, but they're probably a very good person. So I live on in a, my legacy lasts in that boot camp. But I don't know, have you ever felt that way when you are set out to do something that stretches you, that pushes you, and about a day or two in, you begin to wonder why your whole entire life hasn't changed yet? Anyone else do that like me? Like, okay, wait a second. I, I, I signed up. Man, I got the membership. I bought that bike and it's in my basement. I did all the things. Why don't I see the results on day two, on day three? Anyone else just have those utterly unrealistic expectations that your entire life's going to change after a couple days of doing something you know you need to do? Is anyone else like me? Because I, I do this especially with God. Not just with working out. I do this with God. I go, God, I've been praying for this for like two days in a row. Why haven't you answered yet? God, you know, maybe you're like, I went to church like twice in one month, God. I even gave. I even sang worship songs on my commute. God, why hasn't it come through? Why haven't I seen what you promised me? And I especially, I do that with God, especially when it comes to the promises of God. I like to say, God, I, you told me, this is something you said, God. Why don't I have it yet? Or the visions that God has given me for my life. Or the life that God actually says is mine in him. And what happens when we don't see the results on day one or day two or day three? What do we do? And what I want us to just consider for the next couple moments as we move through this passage together is just this question. What do you do when what you see doesn't look like what God said? What do you do when what you see right in front of you, your life, doesn't look anything like what you thought you heard or believed you heard God say about your life or God promised you about your life? What do you do when what you see doesn't look like what God said, when the prayers that you've been praying keep going unanswered? What do you do? Or a vision that you have for your life hasn't come to pass. You have a vision for a partner, for a spouse, and you believe God's promised that to you, that God longs for you to be in that kind of relationship, and they haven't shown up yet. What do you, what do, you do? Or you have a desire to start a family, and you don't understand why it hasn't happened for you yet. Or you just want a job. You just want a job. I just want a good job, God, where I can do something that's meaningful and makes money, and, and it hasn't come yet. What do you do when all that you see in your life doesn't look like anything that you believe God said about your life? Oh, let me put it this way. What do you do when you don't yet possess what God promised you? How do you react? How do you respond? What do you do? And so what we're going to be looking at for the next couple moments, walking through a passage together, is what we do when that happens. 
And I want you to look at a specific passage in the Bible that's found in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua chapter 6. So I want everyone to grab a Bible. There should be one just like this. You can grab a Bible. If you have your ready for more devotional, you can grab that. There's actually, this passage is taught out even more in our devotional, so you can read that this week. If you got it, you can take notes in that. And I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 6. It's on page 172. So if you got it on your phone or you grab the Soul City Bible under your seat or on your armrest, turn to page 172. Let me give you some quick context as to where we're at in Joshua chapter 6. Now, God had promised, he'd given a promise to his people that they would one day be a people and that they would one day have their own land. They would be a people with their own land. It had been generations since God had given them that promise. And now they finally possess the promised land. And God has given them a leader to lead them in this new chapter for them, right? And it's a general that named Joshua. He was kind of one of Moses' right-hand people, Moses had died. Joshua is now the leader. Joshua is in charge. Joshua had a keen military mind, and he's the leader that's going to lead them into this new season. But there is, in fact, a challenge in front of them. There is a challenge in the land they're occupying, and it's the city of Jericho. Now, just a quick little word about the city of Jericho. Maybe you've heard this story before, but you didn't get the backstory. The city of Jericho was within the land that God had promised them, and the people of Jericho greatly opposed the people of God. But the city of Jericho was actually not that big of a city. Modern-day archaeologists figure it's probably at best around four to five acres. It's like a neighborhood here in Chicago, right? It would take you about an hour to walk the perimeter of the city of Jericho. That doesn't seem that threatening, except for the fact that it had heavily double-fortified high walls. This was a safe city, and in fact, no one had ever taken Jericho before. In fact, they had never lost a battle before. So while it's a relatively small city, it had high, high, high walls. And what's true in the story of the Israelites at this particular moment is also true in our lives. There always seems to be a problem between you and God's promise, right? It's never just like, oh, there it is. You said it. I got it. Cool. There always seems to be some kind of problem between you and God's promise, a challenge, right, that, that God actually leads you to and leads you through. And so that's where we have this story picking up. Let's start in verse 1. It says this, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. They knew that they had taken the land, the Israelites had taken the land, and they had locked the gates. No one went out and no one came in. So you get the picture, right? Small city, but heavily fortified, impenetrable, insurmountable, undefeated. This is what we author types like to call foreshadowing, okay? It's setting the picture for what's about to happen. Now, verse two, this is really important. I'm going to pause in a minute and I want you to say the next word that comes. Are you ready? All right, get ready. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see I what? See I have. Say it again. See I have. That's really important. In fact, even if it's not your Bible, circle that word have because it's really important. I'll come back to that in a second. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now, God is very intentional with the language he's using here. He says to them, see, I already have delivered the city to you. Now, you're Joshua. You're looking at these high walls. This is the first battle that the Israelites would have to fight. And Joshua's going, really? It doesn't look like it, God. What do you mean have? I think you got your tents wrong. It hasn't happened yet, God. I'm staring at these walls. But God says, no, no, no. See, I've already done it. It's already done before the battle's even begun. It's already been, it's already been done. God says, I already see it. You just can't see it. What God is using here is what theologians and experts in Jewish literature refer to. Listen to this. It'll take you to theology school here for a second. It's called the prophetic perfect tense. 
the prophetic perfect tense. And what it means is God says it before I see it. God says it's done before the battle's even begun, before I even get started. In fact, here's another way to think about what the prophetic perfect tense is. And God uses this throughout the Bible and he uses it over your life as well. Here's basically what it means. God speaks in past tense about future events. God says it's already done. Oh, see, I already have delivered Jericho to you. Don't worry about it. I got you. I got this. It's already done. Prophetic perfect tense. I already have past tense about future events. Why? Because God is above time as we know it. God is beyond reality as we actually see it. And the same is actually true of every challenge that you are facing. Every insurmountable thing in front of you, God sees what you cannot see. In fact, do you know what God sees? He sees you on the other side of it already. You don't. I don't. All we see is the high walls. All we see is the impossible. But God sees what you don't see. He sees in the prophetic perfect tense. He sees you through it, actually already on the other side. Listen, this is important. Don't miss this. God will see you through what's in front of you because he sees through what's in front of you. He will see you through. You're going, no, it's impossible, God. You don't understand my financial situation right now. Insurmountable, God. Like it is, in, it is undefeated, God. It is an impossible, God. He will see you through it because he sees through it. He's not bound by that. He speaks in the prophetic perfect tense. He's speaking already as if it's actually happened. And he's inviting you to join him there. And so these are the directions that God gives to General Joshua. I want you to pay special attention to the ridiculous military strategy that God is about to employ with Joshua. Verse 3 This is what God tells Joshua. I want you to march around the city once with all the armed men. That makes sense to Joshua. He's writing it down. Got it. Got it. Then God says, do this for six days. Six days you're going to do this. Verse four, have seven, now pay attention to the numbers here. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. It represented the presence and the power of God with them. Then on the seventh day, march around the city how many times? Seven times. And with the priests blowing the trumpets, verse 5, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, basically when they hit the rap horn, you have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone will go straight in. Now, you have to imagine what this must have felt like for Joshua, General Joshua, keen military mind to hear God's military strategy. You imagine what that conversation must have actually been like. Joshua's like taking down notes. Yeah, got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. March around. Smart, smart. Get a lay of the land. I like it, God. I like it. And then we attack. And God's like, no, 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 just go back. I just like go home. Just like go back home. Like maybe um, like have a nice lunch or a power nap or something. You're going to be doing this a lot. Joshua's like, okay, okay. So the next day we attack. God's like, oh, no, 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 none of the next. No, you're pretty much going to do the same thing as the first day for like six days, you're just going to march around it and then, you know, just go back home. Josh was like, so we're going to attack at night. Got it. That's awesome, God. God's like, no, 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 no. You're not actually going to attack at night. You're pretty much going to be marching around the city for six days. Then God says, but on the seventh day, Josh was like, we attack? And God's like, oh, no, 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 sorry. On the seventh day, you're going to do that seven times. You're going to do that seven times. Can you imagine how that must have felt for Joshua? Like, God, are you serious? And God's like, did I tell you the part about the trumpets and shouting? And he's like, no, God, this, you don't have to be a military mastermind to get that this plan makes no sense. It makes no sense on paper at all by human standards. It doesn't make any sense to march around, march around. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times and blow trumpets 
trumpets and shout, and then the walls will magically fall down? It doesn't make any sense, God. But how many of y'all know that the ways of God never make sense on the surface? Not by our standards. How many of you have ever been in a relationship with someone or someone at work and they put you down or they talk about you behind your back and all you want to do is clap back at them? All you want to do is clap back and you hear God whisper to you, love them. That's a different strategy, isn't it? We know the strategies of this world. We know how it works. You get even. God says, no, you give love. Or someone's hurt you or wounded you and you've carried that for so long. And all you want to do is harbor bitterness and resentment towards them and let everyone know that you're right and they're wrong. And God whispers into your ear like he did last week, forgive them. Forgive them. Or how about when when all you see is you're trying to get financially free, but all you see is just mountains and mountains of debt. And you're like, I don't know how I'm possibly going to get through this. And so then you start to scheme it and then you start to putting your hustle on and you're going to figure out how to kind of come up with your own strategy, your own way of getting out of this mess. And God says, trust me. My ways are not like your ways. Or when all you want to do is just kind of start over with someone else or somewhere else, and God says to you, stay. I want you to stay. See, God's ways are not like our ways. And how many of y'all know that God's ways are better than our ways? They're better than our ways. This strategy made no sense. But God's about to do something that, that honestly would blow them away. They could have never seen coming. Verse 12, so Joshua chooses to trust God's crazy plan, and he trusts it completely. Joshua 6, 12, Joshua got up early the next morning, early, bright, like start of day, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing on those trumpets. The armed men, this is smart, he took armed soldiers with him. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed behind them, the ark of the Lord. And the trumpets kept on sounding, and so they did it on the first day. And then it says in verse 14, so on the second day, they marched around the city once, and then they returned to camp. And they did this for how many days? Six days. Now imagine how that must have felt for Joshua. How silly they must have looked. How exposed they must have been. They basically showed who they were and marched around the city in broad daylight for six days in a row. Vulnerable out there. Can you imagine people within the city jeer, like making fun of them, like keep on marching, love the parade. Like, you know, they just... Italy must have felt like a fool. And every day to have to come back to the camp and people would say, did it happen today? And Joshua has to say, not today. Not today. What did you do? What did you do? Well, we marched. We just did the same thing we did yesterday. Did it for six days. How discouraging, how defeating that must have been. See, this is so often for me, if I'm being really honest, and maybe you'd be willing to be really honest, this is when I want to quit on God. God, I've been out here. I've been out on the line, God. I've been trusting you. God, I haven't seen you come through. I I know you said something, but I don't see it, God. I don't possess that promise yet, God. I don't see it. How many of y'all ever felt like quitting, like giving up, throwing in the towel on God, when you don't see it immediately? Now, look, I, I know that for some of you may be thinking, okay, I don't know if I can be that honest to admit that in church. I know you've felt that in other parts of your life as well. 
I know that you felt that when you got all hyped up and you got a gym membership and you were going to change your life and you got on that treadmill on day one and you said, here we go, God, it's me and you. It's me and you. Nothing's going to stop us, God. I got my new outfit on. I got my playlist in. I got my water bottle. I'm feeling great. And you're at the gym and everything is great on day one. You're smiling at everyone. You're feeling it. You're proud of the sweat. Maybe sweating a little more than you planned, but it's okay because you're at the gym. Come on, I know all y'all have done this before at some point in your life. Maybe you haven't been back to the gym since January 3rd. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything's great on day one. You post about an Instagram, out here sweating it away, right? And you got it all. You look great. Your outfit's on point and you're feeling great. It's awesome and it's easy to get fired up on day one. But on day two, on day three, you're like, maybe I'll just slow it down a little bit on day three. I can't be expected to go that fast, that far, that long. Day four, day five, and you pull that thing that everyone does on the treadmill. I'm just going to step off to the side, just step off to the side and grab my water bottle. Just No, I'm just taking a drink. I'm just taking a drink. Longest drink of your life. Just taking a drink. I'm going to get back into it. And then you get back into it. You know how this feels, right? Life, you've been this way at the gym. Come on, you know this. You've ever tried to push yourself further than you've ever pushed yourself before? My hunch is you know what this feels like with God too. God, I've been out here. I've been going after you, God. I've been holding out, God. I've been fighting for my purity, God. I've been praying for a spouse, God. God, you told me you could heal me. Why haven't I seen it yet, God? Why don't I have it yet, God? God, why do I just feel so overwhelmed, so beat down? God, why do I feel so lonely? You, you said that community, that's what life has lived best in biblical community, and yet I'm in this city with all these people, and I feel so alone. God, I don't know if I can go another day. God, I don't know if I can make it another week. God, I don't think I can go another year. And I wonder how many of us walked in here today like this. I just don't think I have it anymore, God. I don't think I can go another lap. I don't think I can go another round. I'm so discouraged. I'm so defeated. I'm so depleted, God. I don't even know if I can stand, let alone walk, God. I just wonder if anyone has ever felt this way before. I have. I know what this feels like. And I know what it feels like on day one. Day one's awesome. Day one's great. You and God on day one, you are going for it, right? You come in here on a Sunday, you're singing the songs, you're feeling great. This is going to be my week, my month, even my year. You are ready to go. You're going to kick the devil in the teeth this week. Jesus, here I go. Come on, I got this. And then Monday hits, and then Tuesday hits. And Wednesday, we're not going to talk about Friday night. And this is so often when we get to this point with God that we're ready to quit, to give up. So I just want you to hear this. Passion, passion, that passion you feel when you come here on a Sunday, that passion you feel when you're on a high with God, passion helps you start with God. But perseverance helps you stay with God. 
Passion helps you start, get fired up, get ready to go. But it's perseverance that comes in on day six. Because God, I don't know if I can go another day, but I believe you're doing something deeper in me. I believe you're growing something deeper in me. All I want to do, God, is throw in the towel. And I know there's folks that have showed up here today, or you couldn't even make it here today, so you're watching online. Because just the thought of having to show up one more time is too much. And I just want to encourage you to not quit today, to not give up on God today, to go one more day with him, one more week with him, one more season with him. I know it's easy to feel passion, but God may be growing something deeper in you, perseverance, which actually carries you through your life's journey with him. Because I want you to look what actually happens. Verse 15, Joshua 6, verse 15, look exactly what happens after day six, it says this, that on the seventh day, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city how many times? Seven times in the same exact way they'd done the six days before, except, that's very important, except what they hadn't seen and experienced before, except on that day, right then on that day, something changed. God did something different. They circled the city seven times, and the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army to shout. Everyone say, shout. shout. No, come on, y'all. Listen, <laughs> summon all your daylight savings energy. <laughs> Cash it all in on this. Everyone say, shout. shout. He told them to shout, for the Lord has given you. See, Joshua got the vision of prophetic perfect tense. They're still marching. He says, shout, because God has already given you this city. As if their daily strolls weren't enough, now he's asking them to shout. Now they're blasting the horns. Come on, God, how foolish do we have to look? But verse 20 says this, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave that loud shout, the wall collapsed and came tumbling down. So everyone charged straight in. They took the city that day. Listen, this is an incredibly important lesson on perseverance on how you keep on going with God. It's a lesson on not giving up on God, no matter how long you've been going, no matter how tired you are, no matter how silly you look, no matter how many people in your life said, why don't you just quit? What are you waiting for? What are you holding out for? Just give up. And I believe that there are some of us here today, I believe that there are some of us here today that need to hear just exactly that. Because if you were to be really honest, if you were to be really honest, you are on your last leg with God. You're on your last lap with God. If you were to be really, really honest, you're ready to quit, to give up. And somehow, some way, you made it here today, but you're thinking, this is my last stop, God. This is it. I just don't know how much longer I can keep going when I don't see what you said, when I don't possess the promise you have for my life. But I want you to hear this from the heart of God. I want you to hear this from the highest heavens to the lowest places of your heart. Can you listen to this and don't miss this for this weekend? Listen to me. Don't quit on six. Don't quit on six. When everything seems impossible, when everything seems insurmountable, when you are exhausted, when you are tired, when you are defeated, when you are depleted, don't quit on six because you have no idea what one more time around God has for you. You have no idea about the promise that's on the other side that God has already actually seen through the prophetic perfect tense. He sees through what you're going through and he'll see you through what you're going through. 
Don't quit on six. Do not give up on God. He sees more than what you can see. And in fact, he says you are ready for more in your life. I know you feel foolish. I know you feel done. I know you feel exhausted. I know you got nothing left in you. Even if you're on your last leg, even if you are stumbling your way through this next day, God, I'm not going to quit on you today. I'm not going to quit because on day seven, God, I'm going to see you come through. I'm going to believe that that's going to come, God, because you're a faithful God. You're a promise-keeping God, and you've never once left me high and dry. And maybe, just maybe, God, you're working out something deeper in me that I can't see when all I want to do is quit. See, what's going on here is something beyond the page. What's going on here is there's... um, there's this thing used in Jewish literature, a theologian, it's called numerology. And, and it's basically, it's like this hidden code in the Bible. And it's not like the Da Vinci code. It's, there's patterns to numbers. Numbers represent something more than just the physical thing. And so there's certain numbers that sort of represent, you see them used throughout the Bible. They represent specific things. And in fact, the number six is actually referred to as the number for humans. And every time you see six, it's to represent humanity us without God, us on our own, us on our own strength. In fact, if you've ever made it to the end of the Bible without getting totally freaked out, you come in the book of Revelation and you've seen or read about the mark of the beast. Has anyone heard about the mark of the beast? Does anyone know what the three numbers are of the mark of the beast? Six, six, six. That used to freak me out as a kid, but now I realize that the mark of the beast is just the Alexa in my kitchen and I can sleep at night. I'm fine with it. We're already there. I'm fine with it. Right? That number is symbolic. It's not meant to be literal. It's symbolic. That is the end and the epitome of mankind, of humankind, of men and women. Six represents us. But how many of y'all know what the number seven represents in the Bible? That seven actually represents God and all his glory and all his perfection. And so is it any wonder that God had them do it six times on their own and nothing happened on their own strength? The walls didn't fall down until day seven. And God said, just so you get the point, have seven priests blow seven horns on the seventh day and march around seven times so that you'll see that this story is actually about my glory. And I see through what you're going through. I'll see you through what you're going through. There is more than what you see in front of you. There is more than what seems so insurmountable and impossible in front of you. And I know this, I know it. And I know there's folks today here who are feeling it. All you wanna do is quit on six. I get it, I get it. I was standing in the kitchen last night with Jeannie making dinner. And we just were reflecting on this last year and there's so much in our family that feels so heavy. Changes and transitions, exciting things, but heavy things too. Grief and loss. We're carrying burdens with friends whose marriages are ending, who are walking through difficult seasons of their own. And we carry them because we love them. And then we are thinking about where God's leading us. And we were just talking about this whole idea of being ready for more. And I was saying to Jeannie, I don't know if I'm ready for now. I don't feel ready for now. I just don't feel like I have enough in me. That there's enough of me for this. And we're thinking about all that God is leading us through. And I can, it's easy for me to say that the goal is 100% participation, but as Jeannie and I, as the leaders of this church, we don't miss the nine million part two. 
and we were feeling the weight of that, we just said, God, it just feels like more assurance than insurance right now. We believe that God's leading us here, but I don't know how we're going to get there. That's what six feels like. And I just want to encourage you today, don't quit on six. Whatever you may be walking through, don't you quit on six. Because what the Israelites couldn't see and what even Jean and I cannot see from our own limited perspective and what you may not be able to see from what's right in front of you today is that God is actually, in fact, and I don't know if you know this or not, but God is preparing you for what he's prepared for you. You can't see it. It doesn't feel like it. When you're on the treadmill, when you're just going and slogging out with God, it doesn't feel like it. But you know what God is doing here is preparing you for what he's already prepared for you. He's growing something in you that would not happen otherwise, that would not grow otherwise. He's forging your faith. He's deepening your dependence on him to when you get to six and go, I can't. God goes, yeah, wait till seven. Wait till you see what I've got in store. He's cultivating your character so that there's more of you that's like him. He's perfecting your perseverance, which will carry you through every season with God. Just because it looks like it isn't working doesn't mean God isn't working on you. And so I just want to give an opportunity for our church right now. I've been feeling it all week. I know there are folks here who are discouraged and defeated, or maybe you just feel overwhelmed. You look at what's going on in our world, and you just go, I don't know how, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do it anymore. I don't know how to keep going with God. I don't know how to keep trusting God. I don't know how to keep putting one foot in front of the other with God. You're feeling discouraged, defeated, depleted. You feel foolish, exhausted, exasperated, all teared out. No more tears. God, I don't know. I don't know. You said it, but I don't see it. You said it, but I don't see it. And I just wonder if we can pray for you right now. I would love the honor. We would love the honor of praying for anyone in this space right now or our overflow spaces that just needs to be encouraged by God. I'm not here to yell at you. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I just want to encourage you today by the Spirit of God to lift your soul up today, to give you enough breath in your lungs to go one more day with God, to push through six and keep going. Is there anyone here here? Maybe you're on your last leg. You don't even know if you've got enough. Would you have the courage right now if that's you and you just want to be prayed for? Would you just stand right now? That's all. It's not going to get weird. We just ask anyone and everyone who'd say, yeah, I just feel discouraged. I feel overwhelmed. I feel underwater. Yes. Would you just stand? Anyone and everyone. Balcony, I'm looking at you. Would you stand? Thank you. Just, I need to be prayed for. Who here has the courage to admit and the strength within you just to stand up and say, yep, I need more. I need more. Would you stand right now if that's you? Say, I need more. I'm discouraged. I'm defeated. I feel blinded. I feel overwhelmed by what's in front of me. It seems insurmountable, undefeatable. I'm at six and all I want to do is quit, but I just want to believe that there's more. Is there anyone else that just is discouraged and defeated and needs to be prayed for, needs to be encouraged today, lifted up by God, literally carried, brought into his wings and carried by him today? Anyone else who has the courage to say that? All right, here's what we're going to do. I want you to stay standing, and I want every other person around a person who's standing, every other person of faith, to surround them, and because of health reasons, metaphorically lay hands on them, so like a little distance, you're going to lay hands. Here's the deal. There's only two categories, those being prayed for and those praying. Does that make sense? 
So everyone surrounds someone. If you see someone and no one's gone to them, go to them. You don't have to give them your backstory. Just give them your name. And there, someone just pray a simple prayer of encouragement over them right now. Just pray for a lifting of their soul, a lightening of their load, that the yoke would be easy, the burden would be light, that God would do on seven what they can't do at six anymore that they would see that God's running after them right now. Everyone find someone, and if you no one's come to you, raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Raise your hand up. We're gonna find you, and someone around you is gonna pray for you. You're either being prayed for, or you're praying right now. Everyone find someone. Pray encouragement. Pray God's lightning of the load. Pray God's blessing, God's favor, God's strength over their life, over their circumstances, over what they see. Help them to see that God sees through what they're facing right now. Come on, let's minister to some folks right now in our church right now.